Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Again, tonight we'll be in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. As we've... uh, John is is a is a book where all, almost not not quite but almost a half of the book is is dealing with the last half, the last week of Jesus' life. I don't know if you realize that, but uh, we we picked up I believe it was chapter thirteen where we had Jesus washing his disciples' feet in the upper room and and. Um, and you had Judas going out to betray Jesus. And from chapter 14 on up to chapter 16, Jesus has been teaching His disciples about what is about to happen. He's about to go away, and He's about to go away to the Father, and He's going to send another Comforter who would be with us, who's going to keep us, who's going to um, lead us into all truth. He's, he's going to be there to be our Comforter. Jesus had taught all these things for about three chapters, and now He is, is coming, and in chapter 17, the whole chapter is, is often called the real Lord's Prayer, or the high priestly prayer. It's not a, a model for us to pray like, like uh, the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. That's kind of the, the disciples' prayer, the model prayer when he teaches. When you pray, pray like this. But here, it's, it's, we, get, we get to pull back the curtain and we get to see Jesus praying to His Father. And last week we looked at how Jesus, He started by praying for Himself. And He, he prayed that He would be glorified, that the Father would glorify the Son with the same glory that He shared with the Father before the world began. Who could say such a thing? That who, who on their right mind besides Jesus, besides the very Son of God, could say, glorify Me with the glory I shared with you before the world began? Jesus was God Himself. Jesus shared a glory with the Father before the world began. And if He wasn't, if He isn't, He was blaspheming when He prayed this prayer. But Jesus was not blaspheming. Jesus really was the Word, the second person of the Trinity, the One who was with God before the world was. The one who everything that was made was made through Him, as chapter 1 of this book tells us. In this next section, we're going to look at verses one, 6 through 19 tonight. And Jesus, He goes from praying for Himself to praying for His disciples. And He gives a ground, a, a reason for why He's praying for His disciples in the first part, and then we get to peek in on and, and listen to what Jesus was praying for His disciples. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and read our text. John 17, beginning in verse 6. I have manifested Your name to the people whom You gave Me out of the world. 
Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know, ev- now they know everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours. And yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I, send, I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, I thank You that as I stand here tonight to preach, that it doesn't depend upon me, but it depends upon Your Word. I, have, have a pre- as a preacher, have no... Power in me. I have no ability to persuade, but it is all on your word. Your word is what persuades us. It works as that surgeon's knife upon our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and help us to, to see your glory. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would remove sin from our, from our hearts. I pray that You would remove scales from our eyes with Your Word. And Father, I pray that You would be with me. I am weak, and You are strong. I am sinful, but You are holy. I pray that you would take me, a weak thing, and use it for your glory. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus 
begins with the ground of his prayer. He says that he has manifested God's name, the Father's name, to the people whom you have given me out of this world. That's a strange way to talk. We would, almost, we would think, if we were writing this, maybe we would say, Father, I have manifested your name to my disciples. I have manifested my name to these men who have followed me for three years. But Jesus sees that there's a relationship that goes beyond that. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of this world. These disciples, these twelve disciples, they had once been a part of the world. The world that was opposing and hating God. And yet, God the Father pulled those men out of the world and gave them to the Son. How did the disciples become Jesus' disciples? Well, in an earlier chapter of the book of John, we read about how Andrew and Simon and and, uh, Philip and Nathaniel, they were all maybe walking along and they saw Jesus saw you know Andrew and Peter fishing beside the side of the sea and he said, Come follow me. And Philip, you know, he had that, that conversation with Jesus, Philip and Nathaniel, when when uh, I can't remember which one it was that Jesus said, Before I, before, before I saw you under the fig tree, I knew you. That's the perspective we get up to this point. But from this perspective, Jesus is praying as though He's understanding these were the men that God had given Him. And He says, Yours they were, and you have given them to Me, and they have kept Your Word. It seems like a confident proclamation. They have kept Your Word. Whenever... Jesus had just told Peter, what's going to happen? Jesus had just told Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to, be, uh, you're going to deny me, that you ever knew me. And yet, Jesus, as He's praying, He says, they have kept your word. Now, I don't think He's saying that they've been perfect, that they've been... <coughs> lawless or sinless in any way, but they have believed who Jesus was. They believed that He was the One who was sent by the Father. They believed that He was the Messiah that the Old Testament spoke about. They believed in Jesus. They were trusting in in Jesus. And on the basis of the fact that they were trusting in Jesus, Jesus was able to say to the Father, they have kept your word. That's encouraging to me. Because oftentimes, whenever I think of my failures, when I think of the times when I have, by my actions, denied Jesus, I can remember when Jesus prays to the Father on my behalf. He can say, He has kept my word. Not on the basis of my own works. 
but because I've trusted in the Savior, because I've trusted in the one who did everything perfectly for me. And he's done everything. He lived a sinless life. His righteousness was important. He couldn't have just parachuted into this world and went straight to the cross. He had to live a sinless life first. We are not only saved by His death upon the cross and His resurrection, but we are also saved by His life. By the fact that He lived a perfect, sinless, righteous life so that He can give us His righteousness while He takes on our sin. Jesus says, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. That's kind of where I'm getting what I was saying. Jesus had said, they have kept your word. He follows that out with that. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you have given me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth the words that you gave me. And they received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. They believed who Jesus was. They believed who He claimed to be. They believed that He came from God. And Jesus turns... He says, I am praying for them. These twelve men who had been following Him for three years, these disciples who were going to go out and turn the world upside down, Jesus prayed for these men. He says, I am praying for them. And He makes a distinction. He says, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I think this is specifically talking about the disciples. He's not in this passage, in these words, praying for the whole world. That seems odd to us, doesn't it? Because we want to pray for missions. We want to pray for world missions that all peoples from every tribe, tongue, and language would know Jesus and would worship Jesus. And it's good for us to pray that. It's good for us to pray that His name would be named among every tribe and tongue and nation, among all the world. But here, Jesus is specifically praying. He he makes a point to, to point out the fact He is praying not for the world, but He's praying specifically for those whom the Father had given Him. I am praying not for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. He's claiming a a dual ownership. Not only Jesus did He say that He shared a glory with the Father before the world began, but he's, He's making this claim, God's people are His people. His people are God's people. They have a a common ownership of His disciples. And then He says, I am glorified in them. 
Why did the Father... Step back for a little bit. Think about this. Why did the Father take 12 men out of the world and give them to the Son? The answer is here. I am glorified in them. Jesus was glorified. As flawless, as flaw, flawed as they were, as, as much as, as they, they seem to sometimes miss the boat, Jesus was glorified in them. And verse 11, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. So what's he praying for? He's, he's, he's saying in this prayer the same thing he's been telling the disciples all along. He's saying, I'm going away. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to send another one who's going to come and who'll be with you. And he's saying the same kind of thing in his prayer to the Father. He says, I'm no longer in the world. He's going away. But they're still in the world. And they need something. They need the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus prays, He prays for... I identified about four things that we'll see in these following verses. He prays that they would be kept by the Father. He prays that they would be unified. He prays that they would have joy. And He prays that they would be holy. Those are all things that we need as well. I know in, in the context here, he's praying for his 12 disciples. Next week, we're going to look at a passage where he actually prays for us. In verse 20, he says, I don't ask for these only, but also for those whom believe through their, in me through their word. In the next, next week, we're going to look at how Jesus prays for us too. But here... He prays specifically for these 12 disciples. He says that they would be kept by the Father, that they would be one, they would be unified, that they would have joy, and that they would be holy. Let's look at the first thing Jesus says. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one. Now, he, there's, there's two claims here. There, there's two petitions here. I'm going to stick with the first one for now. Holy Father, keep them in Your name. He repeats the same kind of prayer in verse 12. He says, While I was with them, I kept them in Your name, which You have given Me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the Son of Destruction, that the Scripture may be fulfilled. Of course, that's talking about Judas. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. That's where I'm getting the joy part from. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. We see this keeping several times coming up here, don't we? He's saying... Keep them in your name. He's saying that Jesus, that He Himself had been the one keeping His twelve disciples while He was here. And remember, He's saying, I'm going away. I'm going to you, to the Father. And whenever He goes to the Father, He needs someone who's going to keep His sheep. 
He needs somebody who's going to keep His disciples. And He's asking the Father, keep them. Keep them in Your name. The Father who made all of the world through the Son. The Father, Creator and Sustainer of all things, keeps His people. He keeps them. And Jesus prayed that the Father would keep them. And it glorifies the Father. And it glorifies Jesus that the Father keeps His people. That is a a very encouraging thing. There are many groups out there that worry, am I going to lose my salvation? Am I going to sin so much that somehow I could lose my salvation? Jesus prayed that the Father would keep His people. Would keep His disciples. Do you think Jesus' prayer was answered? (laughs) Just think about that. How could the Father say no to the Son? Jesus prayed Himself, keep them in Your name. That's one of the reasons why I believe every true believer, every person who has gone from dark death into life, who has gone from darkness into life into light, who the, the Lord has pulled out of the world and made His children will never be lost. Jesus said that was His work while He was on earth. He said He did not lose one of them except the Son of Destruction. We're talking about Judas here. And that was so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. There were prophecies that there would be someone who would betray it. And by that, all of us were saved. Because Judas, as he betrayed Jesus, Jesus went to the cross and He died for our sins. When you're weary, when you feel like you just can't keep going, when you feel like maybe your faith could fail, be confident, not in yourself, be confident that Jesus' prayers will not go unanswered. That what He prayed to the Father, that He would keep them in His name, will be answered. He also prays, Keep them from the evil one. He, we, we see that in the latter part of the verse. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you, you keep them from the evil one. In fact, let's back up a little bit more. He says, they were not of the world. I, I gave them my word. They were not of the world. And the world hated them because they were not of the world. Brothers and sisters, we if we are trusting in Jesus, if we've gone from darkness into light, if we've gone from death into life, we are no longer of this world. And the world hates us. And they will heap ridicule upon us. And what is our hope to keep going? What is our hope to be able to stand strong when we face persecution, when we face ridicule and shame? Our hope is that the Father will keep us from the evil one. 
It's not in us being tough enough. It's not in our ability to just grit our teeth and hold on. It's that the Father will answer Jesus' prayer. Keep them from the evil one. And then we see Jesus prayed that they may be one even as we are one. Again, Jesus claims to be one with the Father. But that's not the emphasis here of this verse. Jesus is praying, keep them, or he's praying that they may be one even as we are one. We'll deal with this again next week and how it relates to churches and denominations and all those kinds of things. I went to a, 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 a non denominational rally, youth rally, many, many years ago. And uh, there was a pastor who preached on this text, and he was saying, Jesus answers our prayers, and we are so disjointed and so uh, separated from one another, we need to be able to answer Jesus' prayers by being one. And by that he meant getting together and basically getting rid of any kind of a theology that divides us and just worship Jesus from the lowest common denominator. As you can tell from the way I'm talking about it, I don't think that's what Jesus meant here. And I think it's kind of blasphemous to suggest that we are to answer Jesus' prayers. I'll talk more about that next week. But when, with regard to His disciples, Jesus praying for His disciples that they would be one even as He and the Father were one. <laughs> Except for the son of destruction, Judas, that, that was fulfilling prophecy, those twelve disciples, with Matthias replacing Judas, came out from the day of Pentecost with the power from the Holy Spirit, able to turn the world upside down. They came out unified with one gospel message of a Savior who went to a cross for our sins, died and was buried and rose again. That's the unified message that they had. And you'd think about scholars today, uh, liberal scholars who, who, who try to look at the Bible from a very critical standpoint, and they'll think, well, well, Paul said this, and James said this, and Peter said this, and there are some distinctions where you see different um, emphases in different authors, but ultimately it comes down to one message. The gospel that Jesus died for sinners. They'll emphasize different things, but they were one. They were one. And what you see where there are tensions is not a discord that doesn't blend well together, but it's a harmony that gives glory to God. And when we look at Scripture, the, the things, the teachings of the apostles that we have, we have one message. His disciples were one. And because they were one, we stand here 2,000 years later, and we can point to an inerrant Bible 
A Bible that is flawless and perfect. God's Word to us. And we're able to hear the Gospel message by which we can be saved. And we can have confidence because they were one. And Jesus also, He prays that they might have joy. He says, verse 16, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Oh. I skipped it. Okay. Verse 13, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have joy, my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus prayed for his disciples while they were he was here on earth so that they would have joy. He follows that up by saying the world's going to hate them. Don't those things go together great? I'm praying that they would have joy. And by the way, the world's going to hate them. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to, you know, Peter is going to be crucified upside down. The, the tradition says that John was boiled in oil and survived. I mean, come on. They're going to have joy. They will have Jesus' joy. And the reason that they will have joy is the same reason why Jesus could go to the cross with the joy that was set before Him. His disciples could have joy because they knew that Jesus had overcome the world. They could have joy because the Father could sustain their faith in answer to Jesus' prayer here. And they knew that while men may kill them here, they looked to a resurrection from the dead. They looked to a time when Jesus would come back and He would reign supreme and there would be peace for all eternity. And the lion would lie down with the lamb. And the little child would play over the adder, adder's hole. They knew, they had confidence that Jesus had overcome and that they, they had been prayed for by Jesus. And the Father would answer Jesus' prayer. And then finally, as you sent me into the world, oh, verse 17, I'm sorry, sanctify them in the truth. That's the other one. He prayed that his disciples would be holy. A sanctification. It's by the process of being made more holy, being made more and more into the image of Jesus. Justification is whenever we are declared righteousness on the basis of Jesus' righteousness. We are declared righteousness when we have faith that Jesus died for us. When we trust in Jesus, we are justified by faith. And that sanctification then comes after that. Sanctification is the process whereby we are being perfected. We're never going to be perfect here in this life. But Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. 
Do his disciples ever reach perfection in this life? Even Paul said, not that I have attained. Even he said he had prayed, Lord, deliver me from this thorn in my flesh. And whenever he had prayed three times and the Lord didn't answer that prayer, he said, nevertheless, thy grace is sufficient for me. His word was answered. His prayer was answered. Jesus prayed for his disciples that they would be sanctified. They would be made holy. They would be set apart. That's another uh, part of the word to sanctify. It's to be set apart. They're they're to be set apart from anybody else. And they're, they're unique and they're separate from the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How are we to be sanctified? How are we to, to grow in Christ's likeness, to become more and more like Jesus as we, as we grow in our spiritual walk? The same way Jesus prayed that the disciples would. Jesus said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Do you want to become more holy? Do you want to become more like Jesus? It's spend time in the truth, spend, spend time in His word, reading it, studying it. Meditating on it, memorizing it, all of those things. Not to to motivate by guilt, but that's the process that God uses to sanctify us. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. Jesus had said, sanctify them. And then Jesus says, and for their sake, I consecrate myself. Consecration is similar to sanctification. It's setting it apart. It's devoting it to a particular uh, task. Jesus did not need to become more like Jesus. (laughs) He was Jesus. He was God. He was perfect. But as he was consecrated, he dedicated himself to the mission that God had sent him to do for the sake of the disciples. He had come into this world to live a sinless life, to die upon the cross, and to raise from the dead, and to send the Spirit. Jesus consecrated himself. He devoted himself to the mission that the Father had given him for the sake of the disciples, for their sake, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Jesus consecrated himself. He devoted himself to his mission so that they may be sanctified in the truth. Think about that. He talks two times about being sanctified in the truth. First, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So we need to spend time in his word to be sanctified. But then he says, and for their sakes, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in the truth. Sanctification has two lines, a vertical line and a horizontal line. I'm getting them all mixed up. 
maybe not vertical and horizontal. That, that's not the right way to put it. There's a subjective and an ab- objective way. Objectively. Subjectively, uh, I'm sorry, subjectively, it's, it's that way in which we are working out our own sanctification, where we are spending time in God's Word and growing in Christ-likeness by meditating on His Word and, and getting to have a relationship with Him on, an, on, day, on a day-to-day basis. I think this last part speaks about the objective. The objective as in it was a, a firm, foundational, established truth that happened. Jesus said, I, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. How are those disciples made holy? Not only by their own effort in getting into God's Word, but they were sanctified, they were made holy by the work of Christ on the cross. He gave His life so that we might be made, declared righteous, and then made righteous. There's a sense in which, you know, we think of the the Corinthian church. They were a messed up church. You had one guy that was sleeping with his stepmother. You had all kinds of divisions all over the place. And yet, whenever Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he called them to the saints. He wrote the letter to the saints, those who were sanctified. And while we are messed up and we are growing subjectively in sanctification... We are objectively made holy by the work of Christ on the cross. He has established our holiness. He has set us apart. He has pulled us out of the world and brought us into His fold. So church, as we think about this passage, I... It comes down to this. Jesus prayed for His disciples. He prayed with confidence based on the fact that they had been given to Him by the Father. And He prayed for their holiness, for their joy, that the the Father would keep them and that they would be one. And what I want to say about that, just to tie it all together, is Jesus' prayer will not go unanswered. We were talking about the disciples, the 12 disciples tonight. And as you, as you look ahead, I was thinking about next week. If you want to prepare yourself to, to come in and hear God's Word next week, just read the next passage on to the, the end of chapter 17 and just remember this fact. Is this something that is not yet answered? Or is this something that we can have confidence the Father will answer the prayers of Jesus? I'm saying it's the second. The Father will answer the prayers of Jesus. We can have confidence. The things Jesus asked for as you look at this passage, as we look at it together next week, the Father will not turn away from the Son, but He will answer. And we can have confidence that when Jesus prayed for us, those things will be answered. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.